Hey, we're working our way through the book of Ruth. We're in week three of this beautiful, uh, just powerful story. And as I mentioned last week, it's a really short story and I think very often overlooked story, but there is uh, just a ton of information, a ton of inspiration for us out of the book of Ruth. We've titled the series Risk, Living Courageously in Uncertain Times. And the idea here is if you are alive, I'm assuming that all of you are alive, you give me that much, uh, then you know that life is full of uncertainties. Life is full of ups and downs. And Ruth just becomes a beautiful portrait for us of how to walk through adversity, how to live through the uncertainties of life and still honor God and walk faithfully with God. It's a historical book. It's, it really is a story. We've talked about the fact that there aren't any commands in it. It's not like one of the epistles that we would usually study. But what it is is a narrative. It's a portrait of walking with Jesus, walking with God through adversity. So it's, a, it's just a great book for us. By the time we finish the series, one of the things we've said is we want you to be able to answer the question, who is Ruth? How did this woman end up with a book of the Bible named after? Gerald kind of launched the whole series with the question, who is this woman? So I hope as you stay through the entire series, if you're not here for any of them, make sure you go online and listen to it. But we're hoping that by the end of the series, you could answer that question for yourself. If somebody were to say to you, who is that woman, Ruth, in the Bible, that you would know who she is and you would know how she ended up with, with a book of the Bible named, how did she end up in the lineage of Jesus himself? It's a pretty amazing story. We talked about the fact that the story is set in the days of the judges, 1,400 years before Jesus was born. Basically, this is a time what we've talked about over and over is when the people did whatever was right in their own eyes, right? That was kind of the cultural norm. They weren't looking to God to get their moral compass and, and how to do things. They were doing whatever felt right to them. And, and, and so that's kind of the, the, the tenor of the day. But what we've, what we've been pointing out is it's really not much different today. That what we live in and in our culture, our current culture, really is similar to the days of the judges. People are not looking to the scriptures and saying what's right and wrong. As a matter of fact, we kind of live in a day of relativism. Whatever's right for you is right for you. And so what does it mean? It means people today do whatever seems right in their own eyes. And one of the things I haven't said yet, but I just want to point out, is this becomes a wonderful opportunity for us. You might be asking yourself, how is that an opportunity? But what the scriptures tell us is that when we follow God, when we do things the way God wants us to do, when we show people the, the, the better way, when we love people in extraordinary ways, we stand out from society. We stand out from the way people see us. So that actually Philippians says that, that if we do things the way God calls us to do it, that we'll shine like stars in the heaven in a crooked and warped generation. So the million dollar question is, are we? Or do we? Do we shine? Do we stand out from the culture? And so Ruth is this picture of a couple of individuals that, that have this, this, this ability to rise above the norm of the culture and, and their character is so strong that they begin to shine like stars in heaven. The way they show extraordinary love kind of becomes the launching pad, if you will, for God to pour out his incredible blessing and give them immeasurably more than they could have ever asked, thought, or imagined. The other 
piece that we need to hold on to, the thread that's woven through this is what we talked about last week, the idea of kased. Remember that word, kased? It's a word that's used most often to describe God's loving kindness for us, but kased, I know it starts with an H, but you've got to kind of roll it in your throat. Kased is radical, extraordinary, uncommon, unpredictable, even reckless love, the kind of love we just got done singing about, where, where God would bankrupt heaven for you and I, Right? And so what we see in this book is Ruth shows her mother-in-law Kassed sort of love. And we're gonna see this new character arrive on the scene, Boaz, and how he shows Kassed extraordinary love. And it's this Kassed love that, that, that will cause us or allow us to shine like stars in the heaven. So if you haven't already done it, grab your Bibles, turn to Ruth chapter two. Ruth chapter two is near the front of your Bibles, right? Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, then you got these four chapters of Ruth, very small, easy to miss. If you get to First and Second Samuel, just go back a little ways and you'll find it. So if you would look up chapter two, that's great. And uh, I've invited my friend Deja Taylor to come up and she is going to read chapter two for us because I get tired of listening to myself. So if you would welcome Deja to the stage. I said, Deja, are you nervous? She said, yes. I said, good, me too. I get nervous every Sunday and every Saturday night. It's just part of the, what we do. Thank you. Hello. Oh, good morning. Okay. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of, of the clan of the Limelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I, might, I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord. For you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. 
And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also, pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave to her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this incredible story. We pray that in these next few minutes that you would uh, guide my words. Pray that we would leave here with um, hearts changed. Our prayer every week is that we would leave different than we came because we've interacted with the living God, whether that's through a conversation in the lobby, a uh, a uh, song that we sing, a word that someone hears uh, through the breaking up and open the word, Lord, that you would uh, change us, that we wouldn't be satisfied to play church, uh, but that we would surrender our lives to you and experience the life change that you desire to bring. I pray that we would truly be a mosaic striving to live like Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, there's a lot in this chapter that we could talk about. Uh, There's a ton of places that I thought about going, but where I want us to to hang and what I want us to think about is this idea of radical love and generosity. The fact that God is calling us, as we talked about last week, to this lifestyle of kesed, that there's something in this book that he wants us to hold on to that becomes catalytic for us living our lives differently. So if you didn't leave your Bibles open, I hope that you did. We're gonna stay in uh, chapter two, so you'll probably want it open. I'm gonna highlight a lot of different places in it, but it starts in verse one with these words. It says, now Naomi had a relative of her husband, a worthy man from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. 
I love the ESV translation. That's what we mostly use around here. But in the ESV translation, it says that the husband was a worthy man. But it, it's a complicated word. And if you go and start looking up all the cross-references of, of other translations, uh, these are all of the different ways the same word, worthy, is translated. So this guy named Boaz, he's a prominent man. He's a wealthy man. He's an influential man. He's a mighty man. He's a man of good standing. He's a man of noble character. Same word translated to all these different things. That usually just tells us that we don't have a good word that kind of captures it. But needless to say, uh, those are pretty good attributes. Ladies, if you're not married and you're looking for a guy, that's a pretty good list, right? I think one of the things that I actually laughed out loud when I was studying this week is uh, one of the commentators said, uh, Boaz must have been a very unattractive man to make it as old as he is with all of those attributes and not be married. I think they might be reading something into the text, but I found that very humorous, right? So Ruth, again, uh, she is uh, so sacrificial in the way that she loves Naomi. She says to Naomi, let me go out and let me glean in the field. Now, gleaning was just a practice of, of picking up or getting any of the grain that was left in the field after the reapers had gone through the field. It was a common practice in the ancient world. On a good day, on a good day, Get this, on a good day, depending on how uh, thorough the reapers have been, on a good day, a, a person could expect, and this is just rice, I couldn't find bags of barley, just so you know, it's not easy to find bags of barley. Uh, on a good day, a, a person that goes into the field and gleans, and think about this too, the, the fields wouldn't, would normally have many people in the fields gleaning. Many of the poor would go and they would wait for their moment and get permission and they would glean behind the reapers. And so we just came out of a famine, right? We know that from chapter one, so chances are the poverty level is even higher than normal. So there'd be even more people and the desperation would even be higher. So there's more people out gleaning, meaning that the more gleaners there are, the less you're going to be able to glean just by fact. But on a good day, if you were to glean, you would hope to get maybe a good full handful of grain, enough maybe for a meal. Or if you were really, really lucky or blessed, you would get enough for a day's worth of meals, maybe two days. It was, it was a way of, of surviving, not a way of thriving, right? So gleaners didn't, didn't make it. They didn't, they didn't have more than they need. It's just a, a means of survival, right? It's hot, it's dirty, it's humiliating, it's hard work. We were in Israel a few years ago. Matter of fact, that's where I met Rock, and we are going back to Israel. I'd love for you guys to, everybody to come with us. That'd be fun to get a truckload of buses, and we'll have to shut down church because everybody came to Israel with us. But it's hot there. It's rocky soil. It's, it's up and down. It's hilly. This would have been very hard work, right? And, and so uh, here's Naomi, Ruth who says to Naomi, let me go and let me glean. It's really more sacrificial than we may first realize that what she's willing to do. So in verse two, she says, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after anyone whose sight I find favor. All she's saying there is let me find someone who will allow me to go into the field because it's not automatic, especially as a foreigner, it's not automatic. So let me find somewhere that somebody will give me permission so that I can provide for us and provide for you, my mother-in-law. So she goes out to the field and she's looking for a place to glean. And then if you look at, at verse three, I love this. It says, she happened to come apart or come to, to the part of the field that belonged to Boaz. I love the word she happened to. So Boaz is a relative of Naomi, a man of great character. We covered all that. And it's sort of like the author is saying, by some crazy string of luck, right? Just by some crazy coincidence, 
right? You could read that into how he's writing and, and what he's trying to get us to, but, but I think what the writer is actually saying here is, hey, there's no such thing as luck. As she stood there on the hill and looked at probably hundreds of fields deciding which one to go to, for some supernatural God-divine reason, she probably didn't hear God say, go to that field that belongs to Boaz. As a matter of fact, we know she didn't because she didn't even know whose field she was in. She picked the field that happened, just so happened to belong to Naomi or belong to Boaz. So probably a good takeaway for us in this is that, that even when you cannot discern what God is up to, God is up to something. Even when you don't know that God is up to something, you can trust that God is up to something good. Even in our world, in our community, in Detroit, in your home, in your own individual circumstances, God is up to something good. Even when, and I'm guessing Naomi, or Ruth, boy, I'm gonna get everybody's name screwed up here. Ruth didn't really feel in her heart of hearts, boy, this is a God thing. She was going out to work hard in a field, but yet God is at work. And verse four, I love this, it says, and behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. Kind of a powerful phrase, and we're gonna see as we get into the, near the end, it's, it's almost like a messianic phrase. Behold, Jesus came from Bethlehem. There's a, there's a moment here that's worth paying attention. The words mean something. So he comes to the field, and he sees this very attractive girl. It doesn't say that in there, but I'm just reading that into it myself. He's unattractive, and she's very attractive. None of that is in there, but I like to think of it that way in my imagination. He's like, who is that hot chick? down there in the field. I'm sure he wouldn't say that because the ancient world, they were much more respectful. But anyway, he notices her and he asks who she is. They tell her who she is uh, and he calls her over and he says these words to her. He's, in verse eight, I'm reading, he says, listen, my daughter, which is immediately a sign that something different is going on, that Boaz doesn't see her as a foreigner, doesn't see her as just a poor person. He's already given her a title, if you will. He's already given her a word of affection, my daughter. It's, a, it's an expression of tender care. Don't go glean in any other field. Don't leave this one, but keep close to the young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. And all he's saying there is, look, great, you can, you can come and you can glean today, but watch where they go because I have other fields. And when they go to that field, follow them there. And when they go to the next field, follow them there. Stay with my reapers until they finish the harvest. Verse 10, she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? She humbles herself. She's incredibly respectful of Boaz. And then Boaz answers her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to the people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. You know what he's saying to her? He's saying, hey, I've seen and I've heard about the way you've showed your mother-in-law said love. We talked about it last week, but it's easy for us to miss what a sacrifice Ruth made. She really didn't expect to meet somebody and get married. She really doesn't expect to ever have kids. She really expects to spend the rest of her life being scorned by a people who don't really like Moabites. She's stepping into chaos. She is laying down her life, literally, all of her chance of happiness to serve her mother-in-law. You know, I'm kind of shocked that we've gotten this far and there hasn't been one mother-in-law joke, but that's for another day. Anyway... <laughs> I don't know how we've gotten this far. But, but here's, the, here's Ruth loving on Naomi, and Boaz sees 
her cassette sort of sacrifice, sees that she's willing to do that. And so he, he invites her in and he, he treats her with, with respect. And then as the day goes on, they're, they're having some kind of meals, probably a late afternoon meal, something like lunch or dinner or dinner or whatever you would call it. And he calls her over and she eats and it says that she ate until she was satisfied, which is another beautiful picture for us. I mean, think about all that she's been through, how much that meal must have meant to her. She probably hasn't had good bread and wine. And so she eats till she's satisfied. She even has leftovers. It says she takes the leftovers later back to her mother-in-law. And then after the meal is over and she goes back to continue her gleaning, Boaz does something that's extraordinary, that's uncommon, that's unpredictable and maybe even reckless, which is our definition of kissed love. He says to his men, the people in charge, the reaper, he says, let her glean among the sheaves. Don't reproach her and also pull out some handfuls and bundles for her and leave them for her to glean and don't rebuke her. Now, to really understand what's going on here, we got to all, go all the way back to Leviticus, which I'm sure you guys have all memorized Leviticus, and, and look at what God commands his people when it comes time for the harvest. So Leviticus 19, 9, and 10. These are the commands of God towards the people of Israel and how they are to harvest their fields. It says, when you reap the harvest in your land, you shall not reap your field right up to the edges, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall not strip your vineyards bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Leviticus 22 is is a similar passage, and it actually says, don't even pick up the grain that accidentally falls. If you drop it accidentally, if it falls while you're harvesting, leave it there for the poor, right? Just leave it there. And then it ends with these words, because I am the Lord your God. And you can take that two ways. You can say, look, it's a command. He's God. We have to do it. But I don't think that's what he's trying to say. What he's trying to say here, what God is actually saying to the people is, if you are willing to sacrifice in this way, you are showing me that you know that I am your provider. Anytime God calls us to give, it's an opportunity to learn that God is our provider. So tithing, is just an opportunity to trust God that he is going to provide for you. Guess what? Practicing Sabbath is an act of faith. It's an act of obedience, but it's to help you to learn that God is your provider. So when we read through the Old Testament, all the ways, the first fruits offering, the, the, the way to reap the land, the tithing, the bringing things into the, into, for the festivals, the practicing Sabbath, the, the Jubilee year, all of that is 100% put in place by God as an invitation to say, do you trust me or don't you? Do you believe I'm your provider or do you think that you are your own provider? The question still applies to us today. So I want you to engage your imagination for a minute and I want you to think about Boaz and I want you to think about what he's doing. I want you to put yourself in his shoes as best you can, kind of picture the ancient land, picture the fact that the average farm field uh, would probably be no bigger than this room. Maybe as big as our building, would be a huge field in the ancient world and in Israel. So they're pretty small plots of land. We don't have 3,000 acre farms with combines running in a row, picking the crops. It's a whole different process, right? Everything's picked by hand, it's rocky. The land doesn't produce nearly as much as we can get out of it with all of our, well, that's another message for another day. But anyway, so, so just put yourself in the mind's eye of, of that. And then remember, they just had a famine, right? That's why Naomi and her family left. 
because there was a famine in the land. So this is the first harvest after a famine. Just imagine how hard it would be to be obedient to the commands of scripture to leave the edges of the field. Look, this is the difference between eating and not eating. But there's no doubt Boaz has just watched people die of malnutrition. He's watched his family members suffer. He watched family members leave and go to places like Moab and not come back because they died. He's watched all kinds of trauma. And think about how easy it would be to say to yourself, look, we need to collect everything we can collect so that we can feed our family, so that we can provide, so that we have seeds for next year. Look, you never know when a famine is coming again. Think about how hard it would be to be obedient to the command to leave the edges, right? It's, it's, a, it's a powerful picture of Kassed. I don't know what the modern day equivalent of this is. Maybe some, some of you have gone through a long season of unemployment or you just had something come up where you just, you had a financial famine and you just couldn't make ends meet for a long period of time. And maybe you even had to worry about what you were gonna, how you were gonna put a meal on the table at times. And then God brings you through that and, and you begin to finally have income again. And then you realize that God is still calling you to be generous. He's still calling you to tithe. He's still calling you to believe that he's your provider. How hard is it in that moment when you've gone through the difficulty of saying, look, I barely made it before. I better put away as much as I can for a rainy day. Or maybe you've owned a business and the business has gone through a downturn and you're coming on the backside of the downturn and you're realizing, man, it's a lot harder to give. You see all of those tendencies. If you came out of the Great Depression, you probably in some ways became a hoarder, right? We all had grandpas and grandmas that they collected everything because they were gonna be ready for the next thing. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. What I am saying, we have to be careful that we do not live out of fear and neglect the very thing that God is calling us to, which is to live generously in plenty or in want. He's still calling us to live generously. <clears throat> Excuse me. At Grace, we have six essentials. We believe these six essentials are critical to your spiritual development. One is that you gather. You're doing that right now, so thanks for being obedient. The other is that you connect, that you're in some sort of smaller setting where you can talk about the deeper things of life. We know that if you just come to church on Sunday and don't connect with other people, that you are not gonna be able to walk faithfully with the Lord. We all need people who we can uh, look in the eye and who can tell us when we're uh, not being completely honest with them. Every once in a while, I have a swear word go through my head and it's not very safe. Anyway, gather, connect. Uh, we want you to serve. God has designed you to do something. He's, he's given you particular gifts and talents and we want you to put those into play for the kingdom of God and that will help you to grow spiritually. But there in the middle are the three others. Devotion is the idea that the eyes of the Lord seep throughout the whole earth looking for hearts who are fully devoted to him so he can show himself strong. So this is a picture of, of surrender. Right, devotion, uh, devotions are a part of devotion, but this is more than devotions. This is a heart that's given to God that you be a person of influence, that you're sharing your faith. That's why we ask the question in your D groups, where have you had an intentional conversation this week? But right there in the middle is this word generosity. And you know why it's there? It's because we desperately need your money. No. It's not there because we need your money. It's not even there because God needs your money. He doesn't need your money. It's there because generosity is where God calls us to show him and to learn that we can trust in God. 
And generosity is way more than tithing. Tithing is a part of it and giving to the church and giving to organizations, but it's, it's this, this, this has said sort of lifestyle. It's, it's being willing to give things even when it seems irresponsible, extraordinary, out of the ordinary. That's what generosity is all about. It's a, a lifestyle. Radical generosity is just an invitation to extend Kassed sort of extraordinary, uncommon, unpredictable, reckless love to others. And when we do, we shine like stars in the heaven against a warped and crooked generation. It's a beautiful picture of, of the opportunity to show. So back to the story. Boaz goes above and beyond. Look at verse 15. He says to the reapers, hey, I know that we just had a famine. I know this isn't going to make any logical sense to all of you guys, but what I want you to do, it's going to feel crazy. I know you're going to think I'm being reckless, but look at verse 15. He says, let her glean even among the sheaves, not just on the edges. Let her glean right among where you are and, and hey, pull out some of the bundles for her and leave them for her to glean and do not rebuke her. Why do you suppose he didn't just fill a bag and hand it to her? Wouldn't that have been more generous? Hey, I know what you've done. I just want to repay you. Here's a bag full of grain. Go home, have fun. He doesn't do it because work is a good thing. He doesn't do it because there's dignity in allowing her to glean for the field. He doesn't do it because when she works all day and, and, and she, she provides for her own family, she's doing the very thing that she came to do. There is a beautiful picture, didn't he? And at the moment that he would fill a bag and just hand it to her, guess what? It's much more about him than it is about her. And so there's a picture of dignity in the fact that he allows her to do it. But he empowers her. He equips her. He allows her. To, to, to have great success as she gleans. This is a beautiful picture. So we read books like When Helping Hurts and, and Toxic Charity. There's times where we think we're doing the right thing, but, but God is calling us to help to preserve the dignity of the person who we're serving. And that's what Boaz does here. So let's see what happens. Verse 17, she gleans in the field until evening. And when she beat out everything that she had gleaned, there was about an ephah of barley. I'm sure you all know, you commonly use ephah in your cooking at home. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it right. But anyway, I wanted you to get a visual of what this is. Normal days gleaning. Remember, I already told you, this would be a great day. Really, this would be a great day. This bag is actually three pounds. If you got three pounds, man, you would really be in good shape because this would probably get you through a couple days of meals, right? So you've, you've done great with three pounds. But an ephah is actually more than that. So if you guys can count by threes, there's three. Thank you. Thank you. You guys are, somebody said 20, it's 21. Just, just want to be clear. 24. 30, yeah. 30 pounds. That's an ephah grain. So imagine, imagine Ruth's sense of accomplishment. Imagine her sense of, of pride, good pride, what, what God has provided for her. Think about where she's just come from. 
Think about all of the trials and all of the trauma that she's just experienced and how as she gathered all these and, and probably a cloth to go home, she's beat out the grain and blown, all, you know, they've thrown it up and all the, the chaff is blown away and all she has left is, is pure grain. It would have been hard for even to figure out how to get it on. But imagine how much it would have been a sense of joy for her, how it would have provided a sense of hope for the future for her. And we actually see that when she gets home. She talks to her, her mother-in-law, Naomi, and Naomi says to her in verse 20, may, may he, the person that allowed you to do this, be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living and the dead. It's kind of one of the first moments we see Naomi coming out of her own funk, right? Who's Naomi, don't call me Naomi anymore because my life is bitter. God has taken every way. So this opportunity of generosity on the part of, of Boaz instills a sense of hope and a future for Ruth and for Naomi, it's, it's powerful. So what? Cool story, huh? So what? So what's the takeaway for you and I? The more I've spent time with this particular chapter, the more God has been showing me uh, that this is a picture of the gospel, that this is a foreshadowing of Jesus himself. We come to Jesus in our desperation. And some of you are here because of your desperation. And you just so happen to be at grace today. No coincidence. And you're saying to yourself, if I could just get a handful. Man, I just need a handful of something to get me through the rest of the day. I just need to survive today. And maybe, maybe I could just get enough to get me through tomorrow. Boaz comes to the field. Behold, he comes from Bethlehem. And he sees Ruth. Jesus comes and he sees us. He sees you. And he invites you over and he speaks kindly to you. And then when you think, well, I'm going to get my hand full, there's this radical generosity, more than you could ask, think, or imagine so much more. The gospel has so much more for you than just survival today. Jesus wants to give you life, not just life, but a abundant life. It's a beautiful picture. Go back through the week and read this chapter a couple times and just ask God to show you the images of the gospel. I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes. I think there's two groups of people in the room that I want to talk to as we bring this thing to a close. There's people in the room today that don't know Jesus, but they know they need a handful. They've come here desperate. So we see this beautiful picture of, of Ruth falling at Boaz's feet and saying, why have you found favor with me? And there's an opportunity for you to do the same thing, to just come to Jesus and just fall at his feet. Say, Lord, I, I just need you. My life is a mess. If you're in that group of people, if you just know you need Jesus and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, I'm just gonna ask you to raise your hand. Just raise your hand where you are.
And then there's those of us who know Jesus, but we really haven't surrendered everything to him. We know we need more. And there's this beautiful picture of realizing that everything you have is a gift from the Lord. All that you have has been given to you by God. And he's calling you to live open-handedly, to be a person of grace and love and mercy, to extend cassette to people all around you. If you know God is calling you to more, just want to encourage you to raise your hand for a minute just as an act of faith as a sign that you know that God is calling you to surrender everything to him just raise your hand Lord I just pray in this moment of time that you would teach us to surrender I just have this picture of a body of believers so enthralled with the love and mercy of God that we become people of Kassed, where we extend that in so many powerful ways to our neighbors, to our friends, to our family members. May we stand apart. May we shine like stars in the heaven. Lord, I pray for the people in the room who have never said yes to you who've never officially given their lives to you, who are still hovering around the truth that you are who you said you are, that you are the son of God, that you came, you laid down your life for them. I pray today that they would not leave this place without surrendering their lives to you and inviting you to be their Lord and Savior. I want to just uh, invite you. If the prayer people want to come down, that would be great. Uh, if you raise your hand today and you want prayer, uh, we're going to sing uh, just a refrain from Reckless Love. Uh, uh, John's going to sing that over us, and I would just encourage you to come down if you want prayer, and then I'll come up in just a minute and close us. John? No shadow you light up
just give uh, this day to you, give our lives to you. Just ask that you would continue to move in a powerful way in the lives of the people. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray for you before the service, and as we prayed, we had a sense that there were some people in the room uh, that were dealing with some things. We, we really had a sense that there's someone in here that is a teacher and that they're just frustrated, uh, just have a sense of anxiety as they teach, whether we don't really know the reason for that, but we would love to pray over you. Uh, someone is uh, suffering from uh, some kind of leg injury, swollen leg, uh, and you want prayer, we would love to pray over that as well. Um, whatever your needs, we have a lot of people down here that would love to just lay hands on you and pray for you and see God move in a powerful way. So uh, God bless you. Have a wonderful Sunday. If you just kind of slide out and save your conversation for in the lobby, uh, we're going to pray for people down here. God bless you. Thanks for being here.